Welcome to Fading Memories, a podcast with advice, wisdom, and hope from caregivers who have lived the experience and survived to tell the tale. Think of us as your caregiver best friend. As you know, my mom suffered from Alzheimer's and cognitive impairment affected my grandmother and great-grandmother. It seems to run in my family, but I've learned my brain health doesn't have to follow the same fate as those who came before me. I am doing what I can to improve the health of my brain, including eating a better diet and exercising. However, I learned recently that when it comes to nutrition, most of us are still living with undernourished brains, and I know I need something to fill those nutritional gaps. This led me to NeuroReserve and their product Relevate. Relevate is a nutritional supplement that restores the vital nutrients for a healthy aging brain. Relevate includes 17 of the most important nutrients that specifically target long-term brain health. These nutrients come from the Mediterranean and MIND diets, which studies have discovered can reduce our risk of Alzheimer's by over 50%. You can use my code FM15 for 15% off of your order. This code is good for subscriptions, which will apply to all future orders as well as individual orders. Go to neuroreserve.com to purchase. The link is in the show notes, and you can also find it on my website. Neuroreserve's mission is to help our brain span match our lifespan. In all fairness, the title of this episode should be what all caregivers need to know. This episode, however, is with a millennial caregiver. She had to learn quickly all the forms, legalities, and financial planning that goes hand in hand with caregiving. One example of the necessary information we need to know is banking accounts, logins, etc. When my dad suddenly lost his short-term memory and ended up hospitalized, his finances didn't even enter my thoughts. If it weren't for my husband's 20 years of banking experience, I'm sure our situation would have been extremely stressful. We're taught as a society that it is impolite to discuss money, health, or even end-of-life plans. Unfortunately, this leaves many of us ill-prepared in the case of a medical emergency. Add to this situation the inexperience of a young adult and you can understand the problems we have to fix. Even if you feel like you've got your paperwork situation firmly in control, this episode is a good reminder of what we all need to share about our lives. With me today is Annie Sager. She is a 30-year-old caregiver who's been taking care of her mom with younger onset Alzheimer's for about five years. And I kind of consider Annie and her group of caregiving people to be kind of a hidden group because we don't really expect adults as young as you guys to be doing caregiving, which is what we're going to talk about today. So thanks for joining me, Annie. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So tell us a little bit about you and your mom. And you said she was diagnosed at about 63 with... Well, she was officially diagnosed at about 63. So you could start wherever you'd like, because I have a feeling this is yeah. a detailed story. Yeah, it's, quite, it's quite a journey, of course. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you'll relate to a lot of it. Um, she was officially diagnosed in, I think it was maybe 2016, 2017. I don't know. It, sometimes it feels like it was 10 years ago. And then I'm like, oh, it was four years. I, you know, we can never really quite decide when it was unless I like look back at the date. Um, but so she was like 63, 64 and we had been noticing signs for a few years. Um, she retired from her job, uh, at 60 because 
we think it was kind of happening for maybe, I don't know, at least three years, maybe at that point. Um, and so she was having kind of a hard time keeping up with paperwork, which was new. Um, and so then we just focused on like, she should have a really great retirement and you're young and like, Hey, let's make this happen. This is great. And then we were like, all right, we need to get realistic. And we got her to agree to the, um, the testing, um, which was a lot easier than I think most people, most people, I think have a harder time getting their parents to agree to go through the testing, um, when they're in the, the denial phase kind of, but she was pretty, she's very easygoing. So it was easy to get through that. And it was still very early on. So we were able to get the confirmation, get her on the Aricep. Who knows how much that really does, but get her on some medication and um, kind of start the journey from there. It was a, it was a point where we didn't really have to tell everyone right at first. She was still able to drive. She had a driving test every few, um, every like six months until she decided to give up her license on her own, um, which opened the ability for us to start having caregivers and she was still living alone. And, but I think it also helped us plan a lot. Um, which I mean, we were never totally planned that you can't plan, but, um, it really helped us. And so now we're at, I think we're at like year five of this. Um, and, yeah, she's now for the it's now been about a year. She has not been living by herself. Um and so it's my sister, my brother and I am the youngest. Um and it's kind of a team it's definitely a team effort. I shouldn't say it's kind of a team effort. It's very much a team effort. Um I've kind of been leading the charge. Um they won't deny that. <laughs> um and so I've fully taken over her finances and um, all that stuff. So now I'm on my third year of 100% doing her finances. Um, my aunt actually took over for a few years. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a journey. Um, and it's, I don't think it's, she's still technically um, mild. She's not even at the moderate really yet. Um, and I, I don't know if I like to think a lot of that because she's been able to I don't know, kind of live with it. And she's, she accepts her, um, accepts the diagnosis and she just is like happy. Um, you know, she's not in that depressed phase where like it can kind of progress your Alzheimer's faster. She's super active or she swims and walks every day. And, um, you know, I kind of like, she's comfortable too. Um, both of my grandmothers both had Alzheimer's as well. And I remember, my mom's mom had Alzheimer's and was diagnosed a lot, or she was never diagnosed back then. You only did it with autopsies, but she had caregivers much earlier on and the family didn't really deny things. And so she was super sweet and happy up until she died. And she probably had it for like 15 years. Um, whereas my dad's mom, unfortunately, my dad will say all the time that he, they were very much so in denial and she was combative and she was angry all the time until they finally got her into a place where she was comfortable. And then she just kind of like relaxed a little because she knew she was safe and comfortable. So our whole thing, I mean, my parents are divorced, but my dad's very, very supportive. And he has always supported us kind of getting out of this denial phase as soon as possible so we can make sure she's comfortable and safe. And I think a lot of that's really helped us kind of get to where we're at now. Um, but that's kind of like sort of the gist of it. So I actually don't, uh, I actually live in Virginia and my mom um, lives in Massachusetts. 
until she's been doing Florida every other or every winter. And we just decided to stop that because the transitions are just too much. We need to keep her in one place. It's been too hard to manage care. Um, I was really fortunate because the pandemic, I was working from home this year. And so um, I was able to go with her to Florida. Um, and so I used to live there. So my boyfriend's military, so we move around. But I never wanted to leave Florida. And so um, it was kind of a little blessing in disguise. I got to go back for the winter and I got to spend um, a lot of months with her, which was pretty amazing. But we also realized we just can't depend on care enough for someone to for one of us to live so far away because my sister and brother are both in Massachusetts. So, um, so yeah, so I don't live with her, but we manage everything. And um, we actually last, this, we're going on one month right now of having live-in care for her. And it's like the most magical thing that's ever happened. And uh, we're really fortunate we're able to make that happen for her and for us too. So. Yeah, I always suggest that families get they start bringing in help early on. And a mm -hmm. lot of, and you kind of alluded to it, a lot of people living with Alzheimer's are very, they're in denial, they're upset, they're angry, and they don't want some stranger in their house, especially nope. older adults. Like your mom is like not that much older than me. Well, she's 67, <laughs> so she's 13 years older than me. That's that's a chunk. And <laughs> um they, you know, so what I suggest people do is make a list of like all the things you have to do during, you know, every day and then add to it what you do, like what needs to get done every week. And then, you know, maybe sit on that list for a week or two, maybe even a month and add to it as you realize, oh, yeah, there's this. Oh, yeah, there's that. You know, whatever those things that we do that we don't remember all the time and then make a list of people. That you know, family, friends, neighbors, you know, church groups or whatever that might be willing to help. And the people, you know, like somebody will come up and say, oh, you know, how are you doing? Or, you know, is there anything I could do to help? And we're always like, oh, no, it's fine. Blah, blah, blah. And inside we're screaming, no, it's not fine. It's not fine. But we don't really have an answer because, you know, we're kind of trained not to put upon other people and be a burden on other people. So if you have this list. You could say, hey, you know what? Annie would be really good at that. Like, if I was on somebody's list, it would not be handle the finances. It's not that I can't. You know, I can balance checkbook. I can do all of that stuff. I just don't like it. My husband was 20 years in banking, and now he's been a real estate broker for ooh, more years than I can remember, since 2014. So it's that is all his thing. Like, he deals with all that paperwork because I just don't want to. You know, but I'm like a fantastic cook. too. Exactly. Yeah, so if, yeah. if somebody says, then, oh, you know, if I ask you, oh, hey, how are you doing? And you're like trying not to drown. And oh, is there anything I can do to help? You'd be like, you know what? God, it'd be so great if you could like, could you like make us a meal every week? Just one. Yeah. Like that would be so easy. And like it would just it would it would do a lot for you. So you don't have to bring in people that like handle your loved one. And I'm just actually really fascinated that your mom has just been like, really just like chill with this whole thing. Cause my mom was totally not. <laughs> She's been so wonderful. I think it's, we started, we started the care. We have the same person who was my mom's first caregiver and she's like a same. She's our person. And so she, um, my mom was a speech language pathologist and she worked in the elementary school and the hospital. And so she always loved kids. And, you know, of course my siblings and I are like, 
my sister is now pregnant and it's like going to be my mom's greatest joy ever because the rest of us are like, we don't have time for kids. Come on, mom. Yeah. Like we'll get to those in 10 years. Um, but so we had Laura who started with us and she had a, I don't think Sam was even a year old or something, her son. And so he, she would bring Sam to work with her and it just started. It was the first year my mom stopped driving. And so Laura would just come a few days a week, just to say, Oh, like, you know, kind of check in. And it warmed my mom up to it because she really loves Laura, but she really likes Sam. And Sam is now four years old, and we pretty much hire Sam. I mean, Laura is just an added bonus to it. But, you know, it's great of like, oh, like, you know, I'm going to run to the grocery store. Lois, can you stay in the car with Sam? And my mom's like, oh, yes, I should stay in the car with Sam. You know, and they can just kind of hang out. And it's sort of like they watch each other. Um, but But we started, we started slow. And then we got, so we were doing half days and then we got up to half days then we got up to full days. And then with the pandemic, when that started, we just didn't want her to be all confused. So then we went to, essentially we've been doing every month for the last year we've been doing, you know, my sister was there for a month and my brother was there for a month and I was there for a month. Um, and then used to, we've kind of been like rotating off, um, I'm still able to do it, but my sister, you know, expecting a child soon. My brother and sister both got married in the last two years. Like we we're kind of, uh, and I couldn't do it all. So um, I bought a boat, same thing as a child. So <laughs> we just, re- we just realized we had to, uh, you know, find more help because we couldn't keep just shifting. And, and it's, we had daytime care this whole time, but it was just a matter of none of us um, lived that close to my mom. And so my brother, actually that's a lie. My brother used to live, um, like two miles away, but still it's a matter of, does your wife want to come to your mom's house to sleep every night for a month or with you or not? And, um, so it's, we definitely have like warmed it up. And even with this live-in person, um, we were like, Oh, how's it going to go? And I, we, I think we just like prepared her the week before for it. And my mom, she met Vivian and she just gave her a huge hug. I was like, hi, welcome. And so, and now I think she's realizing she just has a ride whenever she wants to go somewhere to a friend's, whatever. She doesn't have to wait for someone's shift to start. She just has Vivian. Um, and so it's, there's just someone also to watch over the house now. So for us, it's so much better, but my mom's just really open to it. And I are, we are very fortunate that she's just a very easygoing, friendly person who has no problem with people being around. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, very lucky in that sense. So I wonder um, now if my mom would have been more like that if my dad had been more like that. I hope that makes sense. Like my dad was, he did his thing. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't like he was an antisocial, like, hermit. But he just liked, you know, like, one-on-one interactions or just really small groups. And I don't really think he liked people being over at their house. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. but. I'm just wondering now, because my mom was much more social and much more outgoing and friendly. And as her disease progressed, she just got, well, my dad was very, he had his chronic illnesses. and He was not really great with patience. <laughs> he wasn't a really patient guy to begin with. And then when you don't feel good and you've got somebody asking you the same freaking question every five minutes, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just. It takes the patience of a saint not to lose your cool. Well, he didn't have the patience of a saint. So, I'm, you know, I, I kind of feel like all of these things contributed to her stubborn. Well, she was already stubborn. 
because I don't know if you know, the last 10 months of her life, she was getting really combative. She didn't want help, didn't need help. And when you had to help her get dressed or take a shower or whatever, you pissed her off. And yeah. she was fighting with the two. It took two caregivers to give her a shower. And she, they said she reached for her clothes and slipped on the floor. And she landed on her knee and broke the bone underneath it, the tibia, which is fairly large bone in your body. I'm 99% certain, and I hold no blame to the care staff where she was at at all. But I am pretty sure she jerked away from him like, I'll do it myself. And grabbed her clothes and slipped. And that was the end of that. Mm -hmm. That was March 9th last year. And she passed away March 31st. You know, breaking bones is definitely not beneficial. Not to ideal at that age. No, no, it's not great ever. But, you know, when your body's already traumatized with a disease and there's a, I've done an episode on fall prevention and frailty. Frailty came first. And it's really interesting how we need to like, there's things we need to do. Like you should probably start at your age. I've definitely been doing them for the last decade, you know, exercise, eat right, sleep right, but do balance exercises. And I was just working on one this morning where you basically stand on one foot and then you close your eyes. And it's, I swear you close your eyes and the floor tilts all the way, like one direction. <laughs> it is the craziest thing. I'm like, no, I am going to work on I can stand on one foot, I can move my arms, I can, you know, bend over and touch my toes just standing on one foot. So I've I have progressed through all these different variations of that move, but now I'm seriously going to work on that last one cuz man, that's really hard. But you don't unless you know why that's important, you might be like, "Oh, that's really hard. You know what? I can do the other three, so I'm just I'm just going to stay there." So it's just this this disease has taught me a lot about how to age well, and for sure, I'm just impressed, you know, that your mom is doing so well. This is this is really really good news. But I wanted to ask, so it's you and your two siblings, right? Yeah. And then, so do all of you guys still work full time? You said your sister is yeah. expecting. Yeah, so we all yeah we all work full time. Um, so my sister's in management consulting. So before the pandemic, she was traveling five days a week uh, or like, no, I guess Monday or Thursday, they fly home Thursday. They get to work from home Friday and then they get to stay at home on the weekends and then they fly again. So wherever world, but she also has a job where like she can never, okay. 90% of the time she can never be reached during the day. So mm. not the person to put in charge of care management because if something happens, she can't answer. Um, so my brother is a photographer um, and he works in the town we grew up in um but his busy season it, where he makes all his money is from now until end of october so i uh, we've made a mistake in the past being like hey can you just like you're five miles away can you just go cover this one shift this person called out in this middle of august and august is like the main money making month um so it doesn't work um, and then I'm an environmental engineer. Um, and so I have been very fortunate that um, my company has been like pretty, pretty great about, um, well, my direct supervisors have been pretty great about um, understanding when, you know, I need to answer the phone or things like that. Like I've had really supportive coworkers. So it sort of put me in the main position to be the point person for caregiving. Um, and so 
I was also before the pandemic, actually, so this ended, I was also teaching exercise classes, um, bar classes. So actually my balance is pretty good. Um, I love bar <laughs> classes. <laughs> yeah. And that's B-A-R-R-E, not B-A-R, yeah. like yeah, not going I'm up to the bar the and bar. drinking. <laughs> not those kind of classes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was really fortunate. So now with the pandemic, our studio actually closed. Um, and actually three weeks ago, I quit my job and I got a new one. I'll start in two weeks. Um, and, but in taking it, I had to, um, essentially figure out, is this going to be a job where I can answer the phone in the middle of the day? You know, I could never be a firefighter who's fighting a fire and not be able to answer the phone for the duration of the fire because, my sister and brother can't really be like in their position. And so we've been kind of talking about like, did I, do I take this job? I think it'll allow me the, the same flexibility. I'll work a lot less. I'll make more money. Seems like a good plan. Why not take it? Um, Fortunately it's in my boyfriend's office. And so I was able to get a little insight on, I will be able to continue doing the same stuff, but it, but it was, you know, if it was a job, that I wanted and I couldn't take because my sister and brother don't have jobs that allow us to manage the care. My sister was like, well, we need to hire someone who can manage the care. And I was like, where's the money going to come from? Yeah. You know what? Well, you've got to plan this out. And my mom is doing so well. So her mom passed away when she was 92 or something. And so my mom was diagnosed sooner, but I mean, I mean, who, who knows when she's going to die? This isn't a, late stage cancer and we know we've got two years or something um we've been going at this for you know more than five years and really have to plan um and if we plan well we're really fortunate she has the means to continue to be able to afford her care um but if we don't plan well then i better be saving saving up (laughs) um or she'll end up living with you at the end stages of the disease which is the the total worst i think well, and we've always, so we've, our, our thought process in the last year, which we realized we, it was nice. It was a nice thought, but we really can't maintain it was let's spend time with her now while she can still hold a conversation, still knows who we are. She's still fun to be around, um, but she can go to the bathroom on her own. She can still bathe herself. Once she's in diapers, I'd rather pay someone to do that. I, that's not where I want to play in. Um, and so it has been, it was an amazing winter. I'm so fortunate that I got that time with her. Um, I'll probably never get that time with her again, but we also realized that we can't do it all now. But um, my big, big shout out is to, you know, my best friend from uh, middle school, his dad uh, sold my mom a long-term care policy. And at first I was annoyed that my mom just bought policies from all her friends. And now I'm <laughs> extremely happy <laughs> Because it'll get us a few years to kind of figure things out a little more and give us a break, um, which is huge. So, And there's um, a lot more long-term care insurance products available now than 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago. My parents opted not to do it because it was too expensive. We've got friends who are at retirement, so early to mid-60s that are contemplating it but like the buy-in is like fifty thousand dollars each and they're like it's probably at this point better to just self-insure they also have three kids Uh, their son daughter-in-law and granddaughter are in virginia and the other two are on the west coast so you know they have a little bit more like family options than like Mm -hmm. 
I only have one daughter and she has her own chronic illness. So, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I better plan ahead for myself. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And after like, I don't know if you know, but my maternal grandmother had vascular dementia and lived to 91. So we kind of were along the same lines as you. It's like, I kind of assumed my mom would live to like mid eighties and she got 77. I don't think she would have gotten much past the, you know, end of her seventies, maybe 80 just because of where she was at with the disease. But falling and breaking her leg was just like the last straw for her poor body. And that just accelerated the end. But I, I think she had a year to three years left. So she would have, she would have gotten really close to 80. You know, my paternal grandmother recently passed away. She was 103, which is really weird because everybody's like, Oh, we're so sorry. I'm like, why? She was 103. For God's sake. My great grandmother passed away at 103. And I remember the last like two years of her life. She was just like, I mean, she was practically blind and deaf at that point, you know, and she was just like, she lived at home until the last year of her life, I think. Um, <laughs> And every day I just remember her and she was just like, I'm ready to go. It's okay. You know? And like, she was not a praying type, but she would pray like every day. Just it's okay. Cause her husband had passed away when he was 55. So, I mean, she Ooh. lived a long time without him. Um, so yeah, no, I don't need to go past those hundred years, you know? I think if we could do it healthy and we've learned so much about, you know, like brain health and aging. Well, I don't fear getting to a hundred. I kind of, jokingly oh i tell people i'll live forever but i don't want that it's interesting that your great-grandmother was 103 my paternal grandmother at 103 she'd been mostly blind from glaucoma since 2005 and then in 2018 she got really hard of hearing but and i've i've said this before on the podcast you know stubborn is sort of a genetic trait on both sides of my family tree (laughs) She insisted on living in her own home until last summer. I think she must have, she had something happened. My aunt, my poor aunt, took care of her literally for 23 years because my Mm -hmm. paternal grandfather died in 1997 and my paternal grandmother died in 2021. So it's been a long time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, it was very hard, but I think she must have had a stroke or something because she went on yeah. Mother's Day 2020 from being um, just pretty good. I mean, she needed a walker, obviously had like scream in her ear to be heard, which absolutely hated mm-hmm. to having all kinds of issues. And my aunt and uncle that are local because my dad was the oldest of the three sons. My aunt and uncle are lo- that are local. Are, he's the middle son. And then the youngest one is in. Palm Springs in Idaho, so he's not local at all. So my poor aunt got the whole brunt of everything. And, you know, she went over to check on my grandmother and it was like, okay, something's totally up. And they basically said, nope, you cannot live on your own anymore. And they put her in a board and care home. And I figured at that point, I like, as soon as she was out of the hospital, I mean, this is still in the middle of the pandemic. I'm like, I'm going in because, you know, I already lost my mom this year. I don't want to not see my grandmother and lose her too. Mm-hmm. And cause I assumed like, well, this is definitely gotta be the end, right? Like every major thing that happened to her, I'm like, okay, this is where she just gives up. And she, she told me, no, I'm very, I'm very happy here. And I was like, 
hell? Like seriously? <laughs> yeah. You're like baffling me. And she would sing hymns. She was she was definitely religious, unlike some of us. And she would sing hymns in her head and all of that good stuff. And she would listen to music and mostly hymns through headphones. So I mean, she was happy, but she had another bout in the hospital in early March. And my aunt called and said, well, she's in the hospital again. When she comes out, we're going to put her on hospice. And I was like, is it really rude to be like, finally, you know, it's like, you know, it's like after a while, it's like nothing's working quite right with anything in your system. And yes, you're happy, but it was so hard to visit because, you know, you'd have to shout so everybody could Mm -hmm. hear your conversation. I hated that. So, yeah, but she, you know, she did really well up until, you know, 2018. And so that was 101, you know, she outlived my dad. It was just like, she had a very full and interesting life. Yeah, and that's for sure. That's, yeah. that's what I'm after is full and interesting. So I wanted to back up. You said you just, you're about to change jobs when this comes out. Hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll have Sorry. sailed through all of the uh, preliminary stuff. Did you feel it important to either not ask, like, let me back up here. I'm not trying to word this in a strange way. Did you tell them about your caregiving responsibilities or did you kind of feel like, yeah, that's the one thing we have to change in society. But but the new job comes with one of the greatest things is it comes with a separate sick time and it can be used for a lot of it. And it can be used for my mom. Um, It comes with a lot of stuff I can use to not have to use my PTO to do stuff with her. I haven't really necessarily kept it a secret um, because I am going into work in my boyfriend's office. Uh, I already know most people there. I did not, I do not know the people who hired me, my direct supervisors. Um, but the, so I'll be working at actually the Coast Guard headquarters in Washington, DC. Um, and there was someone, I'm going to get it wrong on what his title was or something. He was someone who was high up. He was in charge of either the division or the entire place or something and but his mother-in-law had alzheimer's and um he was helping take care of her and so they were pretty when my boyfriend needed to kind of help me transport my mom north or just anything like that um everyone was really pretty wonderful uh, with him um about you know helping out so I, you know i kind of went into it knowing that of course it is Coast Guard. So people are going to rotate in and out. Um, but at my old job, uh, so I transferred offices a lot because of my boyfriend's job. And I was really fortunate. I had very wonderful bosses at first when my mom was going through the testing to get uh, diagnosed. And they were super supportive and everyone knew. But that I, I didn't, she didn't really have caregivers then. It, it wasn't a big part of, I don't know, anything I was doing at the time. So then I transferred to uh, our Detroit, Michigan office, and we're a really, really small office. And I was really fortunate because my supervisor was trying to do part-time work, which in I was in engineering consulting and like part-time is a very difficult thing to manage, um, but she was trying to spend more time with her kids. And so she was the most understanding person ever. And this is when I was going through the process of trying to, I was taking over my mom's finances. And she had like 1,800 bank accounts. And so it was like consolidating everything, which was awful. I told you, she liked to open accounts with all of her friends. 
um, and buy things from all of her friends, which was great in some sense, but very difficult in other senses. So trying to manage all that, get all the addresses changed over, consolidate. And I was also trying, we were finalizing her power of attorney, her healthcare proxy, all that stuff. And a lot of it just had to happen during the day. And I was extremely fortunate that that supervisor was as supportive. You know, I'd walk in and she'd be like, hey, I haven't seen you in two days. How's your mom doing? You know, things and I just like, thanks for asking, you know. Um, then I moved to um, Washington, D.C., where I'm at now. And um, I, I never really got that close with um, my supervisor for the two years I was in that office. Um, but there was right when the pandemic started, he came over randomly to just give me some good news about a client. And I go, that's the best news I've heard all day. He's like, are you okay? And I was like, three of my mom's caregivers just quit. And he had no idea what my mom had caregivers for. He knew nothing about it. And he goes, I'm so sorry. Like, you okay? And I was like, I, someone else was calling me. They're probably quitting too. You know, I had four. Um and you could tell he was kind of like, I want to be supportive, but you haven't given me anything to go off of. And then it was finally, it was probably like four months later, we were in my review and we were talking about what, if we were going back to the office and all that. And I finally said, I was like, okay, I haven't told you. My mom has Alzheimer's. I manage most of her care. This is an extremely difficult time to find care. Um, I, I just need to know. I was like, I'm home with her for you know the month of June. I need to figure out if I cannot come back or, you know, if I need to go back to the office or if I can stay here with her um, for overnight care and all that. Um, and he was just really great, but you could tell it was this awkward, like he didn't know, he wasn't good at that type of thing. Um, but he was, he was still really nice and they still haven't gone back to the office um, even though I left. So in general though, yeah, no, I did not tell did not tell my new employer. Um, I feel like I could probably put that on my resume, like manage tons of employees that always quit because I don't know. That's what caregivers, not all of them. Um, we've had lots of them for many years, but you know, everyone. Yeah. Anyways, I could put like managing, but I just never want to manage people ever again. I think I've <laughs> that I can understand. It's definitely, it's not an easy thing to do. And it's, and if you're not trained in managing, you know, like all of a sudden you take over managing caregivers. Like when my dad was home on hospice, which was like a little over two months, that was, we'll yeah, about two and a half months. You know, we had three caregivers a day, seven days a week, because it was 24-7 with my mom and then with both of them. And it was through a company, but... Oh, yeah, was just like now, the companies they give you a false sense of they're going to do everything and that's what i've learned in the last year anyway yeah, i think i've i've seen a lot of younger caregivers like yourself that have like there's a gal um i follow her on instagram and she's um she lives with her mom and she's got this one caregiver and she was she like had like i don't know 50 instagram story panels it was like Oh my gosh, those little dots are so small. I can barely see them even with my reading glasses on. And so I thought, you know, like, what is she talking about? I figured I'd probably like bail out like three or four slides. And she was talking about this one particular caregiver. And I'm like, I can almost guarantee you that caregiver has got to be double her age. Because mm -hmm. I could just, I'm just, I'm like, I just sense that this particular caregiver has a difficult time taking, I don't want to say orders, but yeah, yeah. like, it doesn't want to be, yeah, directions. There you go. That's the right word. 
from somebody who's probably younger than her own children, if she has children. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, sent her a message and I, and basically kind of indicated, like, I tried to like throw in my two cents into the situation. And I said, is this particular person like significantly older than you? And she's like, oh yes. I'm like, yeah, there's one of the problems because it's just, you know, we're not really wired to, to like take directions from the younger generation. That's not how it's supposed to work. And when my husband was in yeah. banking, he was in the middle. So he had older female staffers and younger female staffers and managing the two different generations and the opposite gender. It was just like, Bleh. <laughs> it was not his strong yeah. suit. <laughs> yeah. One thing, I mean, with those, with the agency, so we started, we, we were very fortunate. There was um, in my brother's photography career, he met someone who was trying to start um, essentially an agency on, so my mom, I'm from a small island off Massachusetts. So everything is very limited there. Um, I mean, we have lots of things, but this person was saying, oh, I'm going to start a carry agency. Um, And thankfully she did because (laughs) she's great, but she has kind of been with us, growing with us. And she's trying to make a more of an Alzheimer's friendly like community and doing all this stuff, which has been amazing. But she also reviewed our long-term care policy because I was like I don't know what this gets um and she is on our long-term care policy as someone who can ask and make executive decisions whether or not someday I'm going to regret that or not hasn't happened yet but she but it's good because she knows how she can bill and how we can best use the policy which has been great but also she now is getting caregivers and so I have she's got this great great system and we're used to working with her and she's the one who found our our living person which has been great but then my mom went to florida and i was like okay instead of me managing half these caregivers that i found on care.com or did this way or that way i'm just going to use a full-time agency i'm going to get 100 percent of my mom's care from agency i'm not going to look on care.com i'm going to trust them to do the work um and we would have people, but then they always needed various schedule shifts or, you know, the billing was off and they'd always make me feel bad that like I checked the billing and like, it's going to your mom's long-term care policy. And I was like, yeah, but if you use it all up tomorrow, then I am not going to have an extra year of care. <laughs> like you want to um, have a client. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it still don't work that way. And so we had just, they like couldn't ever find, it was like Tuesday afternoon. They couldn't find someone or they couldn't find someone for Tuesdays. So then I got my friend who and her and my mom get along really, really well, really well. Um, She started coming Tuesday morning. So now they only had to find a shorter shift, which they said would be fine, but that's not true. They want the longer shift. So, but then someone had to leave. I mean, they weren't being paid that much. And I was kind of at the point where I was like, I want them to show they're going to stick around and I'll give them a raise. Absolutely. Like they're worth more than $12 an hour. Um, but then people would have to leave because we wouldn't get to that point. Um, and then other people would find better paying jobs. So then the agency would just send us a random person, you know, for every shift. And we had seven day a week care and, you know, then people wouldn't show up or they didn't have transportation or whatever. And the agency would say, oh, well, maybe it's the stimulus checks. And I was like, I don't really care what it is. You told me my mom will never be alone. And you understand that someone has to be sent out. If someone doesn't show up, then you can't get someone. We had multiple times where my mom was alone for like six hours. And I would just have to, you know, tell everyone at work, sorry, I got to FaceTime with my mom all all morning just to make sure she doesn't go anywhere. And thankfully, she was in a safe community. And she really, 
she was fine, but it was kind of like to the agency, excuse me, you, you told me she would never be alone. She has Alzheimer's. It's not like she has a broken leg and can physically survive for it's different, you know, when she's a wander risk and all that. So then we found one phenomenal caregiver. She's like the best person ever. Um, I wish I could have taken her north, north with us. She was super active. Her and my mom got along so well. She totally understood that they would go horseback riding, they go sailing, they do all the things my mom loved as a kid. Um, but instead, the agency just kept sending us random people, and my mom was getting like pissed off. She didn't want all these random people in because she didn't recognize them. The place was a mess because no one figured they were going to be there the next day. And so they didn't, you know, clean anything up. She was eating salads from 7-Eleven instead of like a nourishing meal. And just no one cared because they were just a fill-in person. And so we had a lot of talks with the agencies and essentially Dixie, this like amazing caregiver, she ended up just picking up like almost all the shifts. And then the agency was like, okay, we've got someone else who can fill in um, these two days. And I said, well, actually, I gave it to my friend because honestly, I know she's not going to quit and she's going to show up and she's not going to be late and she's going to show up. The mom's going to like her. Thankfully, I did because then, like, the only other person the agency had given me besides Dixie then just stopped showing up. Like, no, no notice, just never showed up. So it's like you just went through all this stuff and, you know, we just had such high hopes that we were going to have like this easy situation where someone else we were going to pay them to take care of it and it just was not the case and that was essentially the final straw we were like well we can't let my mom go back to florida if we don't live nearby um you know i've got tons of friends who are able to show up when i needed them to but it worked when i was like physically there and i was working from home because i could just go keep working in the living room and keep her company or something um but they just give you this false sense, uh, you know, they get you all excited that you're going to like have this huge burden off your shoulders and then it doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah. And that's a pretty so. typical issue with all the agencies. It's not. And I think mm -hmm. it's like nationwide. The company that we used, we had like Monday mornings and Tuesday mornings was a gal that was actually a CNA, a certified. Well, actually, she wasn't an assistant. So she must have. She was a nurse. And she would show up Monday mornings at my parents and she would take stock of like what food is in the fridge, you know, what meals are available. Like, she, like she like basically came in and, and managed the household, not just took care yeah. of my parents. And my, at the time, my brother-in-law worked at a grocery store. And so the Monday, Tuesday morning gal would take stock of what was needed and what they had and all those, you know, typical details like made basically she made a grocery list, texted it to my sister who forwarded it to my brother-in-law. And then my parents' house was not horrifically out of the way from his drive home. I mean, dropping mm -hmm. off groceries is a whole lot easier than a lot of other things he could have done. And, you know, he didn't ever complain or anything, but, you know, it was it was a really easy, good system. And then we had so there was two gals like that. And then we had probably half of the remaining ones or more than half were good, but they didn't necessarily take a lot of extra initiative. They just managed yeah. my parents. And like I said, my dad was really challenging. He was on hospice because of kidney failure and the toxins from the failing kidneys basically caused him to have memory loss. So he didn't realize he was on hospice and dying. 
and he wasn't patient with anybody. <laughs> so he was really hard to be around. And mm-hmm. I have a funny story. I don't remember the last time I, I mentioned it on the podcast, but my dad was given like because he was diabetic, the caregivers were trying to talk him through doing his insulin injection because they were not allowed to do it. And, you know, they could draw the insulin into the needle, but they couldn't actually inject him. Okay. So they were, she was trying, you know, give, try to give him the needle. And my husband and I were there visiting. And I think his mom was there too, because I usually picked her up on my way in. And he was giving that caregiver just absolute hell. I mean, he was just yelling and just, I mean, super obnoxious. And I went in to sort of try to defuse the situation and I got verbally abused and I was like, I'm out, not putting up with this crap because I'd been getting a lot of that the whole time he was on hospice. My husband and I are in the kitchen and we're talking. We literally have our heads together touching, you know, because we're trying to be a little bit quiet about it. And my mom literally pokes her head in between the two of us and she goes, he's just being an ass. You should just go in there and tell him to drop dead. And I was like, oh, my Lord. (laughs) (laughs) like and then it was like this is like horrifically funny and so we're laughing and she laughed and it sort of diffused the whole tension of the afternoon but it was like she does not have a clue what she just said and it's really horrible what she just said but it's really hysterical at the same time it's just like insane so the caregivers didn't particularly like to deal with him too much which was 100 percent understandable and then we had one gal who was young and at one point, and this is like, if you guys want to skip 30 seconds ahead, I'm giving you a warning <laughs> there. His legs would fill up with fluid. And as he walked like to the restroom, he left a trail. And so the hospice nurse suggested lightly wrapping his legs with like ace bandages to like kind of keep the ick to a minimum. And this one younger gal was like, I am not doing that. And I'm like, well, then you're not coming back. And then there was one overnight gal who was a disaster and would have been like, she would have been told not to come back, but it, I'm not even sure if she did. Basically the really great gal showed up Monday, Monday morning. My dad had been sitting in a, in a, he was sitting in a pile of urine or puddle of urine and the overnight gal had said, Oh, I just changed him two hours ago. The, the really terrific gal goes in she was so upset. She literally called the hospice nurse. And that was the last week of my dad's life. And it was very challenging and difficult for everybody. So I don't even remember if that gal came back. or not. Yeah. But yeah, it was like, for the most part, you know, we just had the two that were troublesome and two that were just phenomenal. And the rest of them were fine. You know, not great, not bad. But I understand that that's pretty common. So I wanted to ask, how did you find this live in person is because I'm one of the ideas my sister and I had was to find somebody that would live with my mom for like room and board and some money, like an older woman that didn't have cognitive issues because, you know, I'm in California. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. You, You live in Cheapville's area as well. So, you know, there's housing shortage in a lot of seniors have a really difficult time affording a mortgage or finding a place to rent. And I always thought it would be really beneficial if I could get like two people to live in my mom's house and help take care of her. And then we'd also supplement, you know, like obviously room and board is not quite enough for taking care of somebody with Alzheimer's, but that, yeah. So we like went through all that because especially (laughs) with my mom being on an Island, um, there, I mean, there's actually like a 
I don't know. It, there's a housing crisis out there. I mean, my brother actually just moved off the island. Um, the ferry, the short, the fast ferry is an hour. The slow ferry is two and a half hours. So Thanks. it's not like a close, it was 30 miles from short. So it's not a close commute. My brother actually just moved off island um, and he's doing kind of a commute um, because you just can't find affordable housing out there. So we're fortunate my mom owns her house. Um, and so in the last, like last year, she had a caregiver from Florida who's my age and wanted to come and they got along great. Um, she was a nanny and we had hired nannies at first because it was a similar position until we got to a point where you kind of had to understand Alzheimer's and my mom needed a little more. Um, but so she wanted to come back. She wanted to live on Nantucket and, and, and the housing so crazy out there that um, we were like, oh, well, you can just live with my mom and super cheap rent. I mean, like barely anything. Um, and that, that kind of saved us a little last summer. Um, she was, she was there until my mom's dog got sick and it was kind of too much for her um, on that end. But so we were trying to figure out various things of, um, you know, we had people who wanted their parents to move out, but their parents didn't have a lot of money, but had been home healthcare workers in the past. And I was like, all right, can we make a deal? And then people, then the pandemic happened, people couldn't really decide what they were doing. So we'd been trying to get creative on this. Um, and then we were talking to this agency at home um, about, you know, daytime care, thinking before we knew my sister was pregnant, that she was just going to be out there for most of the summer because she wanted to be there and she could work remote. Um, and then they just happened to say, oh, we've got this new program where we can find you a living. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, can we talk more about that? And it's a little more expensive than um, what it would be to have my mom at like a memory care facility. Um, so we can't, we probably can't do this forever. Um, but it's a lot better than if we just had to pay someone hourly. So we give them a, you know, they get their own bedroom. And um, this, she's she's been a live-in person for 10 years. Um, and so I think she was living with her children. Um, and then until she got this job and she wanted to come back out to Nantucket. So it worked really well for us. Um, but we didn't want to get rid of our caregivers, you know, Laura with uh, her little, her son, Sam, and we didn't want to get rid of them. And so we asked them what hours they actually needed to still work with us. Um, and we've kind of been supplementing and they were able to find a little hybrid situation for us. So we could still have our normal people, but it's a lot cheaper than us paying hourly care around the clock. Um, and so she gets paid a certain rate. And so it just makes an assumption that, you know, she'll be able to sleep for I think they give her exactly eight hours and then she can have 10 hours, you know, she'll get more than that. Um, but through the agency. So, but we were trying to find other creative solutions. I was constantly on the, you know, the local Facebook year round, you know, housing market thing, anyone saying, trying to look for some creative option. Um, and then this option where we could build it to the long-term care policy um, came up and we just took it. Also, it was like two weeks before my mom got back to the island from Florida. So we took it because we didn't have other options. <laughs> but it's worked out wonderfully so far. We're one month in and it's, um, it's great. My mom did lose her phone. So I am wondering if I'm not hearing her complain about it because she can't call me and I just got her a new one. <laughs> um, but I'm, I've been told it's going well by we've got because we've got these existing caregivers that we've had in past years. And they've told me it's going well. Um, so it's it's been yeah. That's been awesome. Wonderful. She yeah. must have a really good long term care policy. 
Yes. I mean, it's, so it's only ends up, it's essentially four years worth of care. Um, but we only started using it like barely last year. So I think we'll get, you know, we get a set amount. Um, so I think we'll be able to drag it out a little longer. Um, but yeah, it was really wonderful when we realized we could start using that because care is expensive. Um, and you want to pay people for their efforts. Um, you know, you don't want to pay them $12 an hour, but you've got to be able to afford to not pay them $12 an hour, but you're going to get what you pay for. Um, and so it's, yeah, having a long-term care policy has definitely been huge. Um, because I know the 24 hour care with, when my dad was on hospice here, so this was four years ago. Yes. Last year's last year is like a throwaway year, so I have to like actually think about yeah, it. Yeah. And it was more money. It was twenty eight dollars an hour for them to take care of the two of them from the agency. So it was over mm-hmm. seven hundred dollars a day. It was actually more money than the memory care my mom was in. And my mom was in a beautiful, you know, yeah. fantastic place. I mean, they didn't pay you know, they didn't pay their people that well either, but they didn't have a lot of turnover. There was certain caregivers that were there the entire time my mom was there, and that made me feel really good. And then, like I said, my mom passed away in March of 2020. I went back in the day before Halloween 2020 to deliver little cards and treats to the residents there, and it was really nice to see that you know the same uh, memory care director was there and like yeah. Two of the three caregivers I dealt with all the time were still there. And I went at a different time of day than I was normally there. So um, I think I think most of the ones that took care of my mom were still there. So, you know, that's pretty unusual. But before it gets too much later, like you, you talked about going through your mom's bank accounts and getting the power of attorney and all of that stuff. And I know personally, it's like I learned about that stuff in a bigger way after my dad died because we had to take care of my mom and I was her healthcare power of attorney and my sister and I were um, joint executors of the estate. And thankfully, like I said, my husband does all this, you know, legal paperwork Mm -hmm. between banking and real estate. But what would you suggest, you know, like people like you and my daughter who will be 30 this fall, you know, what should you guys do to learn or what do you suggest they do to learn about all these kind of things that they might end up having to know about all of a sudden, because I think that's really yeah, important. That's like, that's like my biggest suggestion for anyone. I mean, whether your parent has Alzheimer's or just your parents are going to get old, um, <laughs> is, is, you know, getting this stuff in order. And I'm, I'm so fortunate. My, my dad is in great health. Um, his 70th birthday is next week and he has done everything we, he saw we were going through consolidating bank accounts and doing the power of attorney, doing all this stuff. And my dad went and did it on his own. And I was like, thank you. You know, like I appreciate you getting all this, this kind of an order um, because most people don't, and it's a lot more difficult. And we were really fortunate that my, um, my grandfather, I mean, he passed away like 15, 20 years ago, his lawyer and him were like besties. And so he, his lawyer actually is the one who helped put together all my mom's stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, getting the power of attorney is one thing. And so we actually did something where we have a majority power of attorney, which actually complicates everything. So two of my siblings, my, myself and a sibling have to sign off on everything. So I can't just go sign, my, like sell my mom's house tomorrow without telling anyone. Um, 
And that's what we were trying to avoid. But it also means that anything I sign as power of attorney, I have to get my sister or my brother to also sign. Um, but getting the power of attorney and the her estate, and we actually put everything into like a revocable trust. So it's all like more organized. My brother actually owns my mom's car. She doesn't have a driver's license anymore um, that her caregivers use. And um, any like joint boats or properties with my mom's siblings, we are working on dissolving or getting rid of. Um, but getting that paperwork is like, I feel like the first step and getting the bank accounts organized. Um, three years later, I just found out about another one yesterday. And I was like, come on, I Jeez. thought I was done. <laughs> um, but it's, it's being okay using it and knowing when there was a long time and I was like, well, my mom can still find this. Um, now I'm at the point where I just sign everything that's power of attorney. Most people don't care. Um, they'll just say, oh, you have it. And they're not big things that I'm signing. I'm signing as her, um, her change of address or something or whatever. It's the banks and the, you know, the medical people who need to send it to their legal team. And it's, it's kind of understanding what the power of attorney can get you and, and how it can help you. Um, and a lot of times I do have to have a doctor's note um, in financial situations from my mom's doctor. So getting that stuff. Um, but it's just, I think, getting to that point where you realize that it's okay to start making these decisions for your parents. Um, and, you know, I was, I was buying a car for my dad last year and um, was like, you know, we found it near us and we we're going to drive it up. And I was trying to register it in his name. And I'm like, well, do you have power of attorney? And I was like, well, I, I do because my dad just did this. But now is not the right time to use it for my dad. Like just send him the paperwork. He's still capable. He'll send exit back. Um, but for my mom, it was finally realizing I had to essentially become that, that guardian um, and getting her COVID shot. You know, they kept asking like, are you okay with, you know, with uh, the fact that it's not FDA approved, all that? And I'm like, oh, no. And I was like, no, no, she's fine. She's fine. You know, like she wants it. And then them asking, you know, they don't, when you show up to a place like that, they don't ask you, oh, does your mom have Alzheimer's? Why are you with her? And you have to find a way without making her feel bad about saying it. Um, you know, my way in the doctors being like, you know, they ask about allergies and like, oh, she had an allergic reaction to a clinical trial. They're like, oh, what was the clinical trial for? Alzheimer's. And then they kind of look at me like, oh, oh. and then they kind of <laughs> they direct their comments to me or their questions to me instead of her. But it's it's learning how to use all these healthcare things um, and just finally make decisions. But also, you got to have them to use them. So don't don't wait till I know a lot of people have waited till parents have passed away or then they're dealing with all this stuff. Um, I've got a lot of friends whose parents won't let them get involved in things. Um, and that, I mean, that's terrifying because it's going to be that much harder when they're gone. Um, and I, I was at a point when I took over, my mom couldn't tell me what accounts I had, what she had. Um, but it was, you know, don't, don't wait, I guess. is kind of, I feel like now we're at a plateau at a place where we can kind of survive. <laughs> Um, Which is a good place to be. But getting there is a lot. Yeah. So it's amazing how much paperwork there is when, like, after my dad died, it was like, what more? Like, geez, I think that you know, it's like we they used they used less wood to cremate him than we did to call his stupid paperwork. It wasn't quite as bad with my mom, but mostly that was because everything had been handled previously. But 
I know caregivers who have been like persuaded by a lawyer not to do like the power of attorney. So, and they're older, they're like older than me. And now their parent is in, you know, late stage Alzheimer's and they don't have control of any finances. Oh my God. It's just like a disaster. There's a, there's, there's a movie on, I think it's on Netflix or whatever. It's about the professional guardians. Um, have you heard? She goes in and she convinces, uh, you know, people who have no reason to have a guardian. She goes in and convinces the court. She works with a doctor to get um, court appointed professional guardianship of them. And she just rakes up she's got hundreds of clients and she just takes and sells all their stuff and says, you know, and she works with a long term like a facility and she sends them off and my boyfriend we watched it it was a great movie but he was like how pissed are you right now and I was like I am so pissed (laughs) you know like (laughs) this shouldn't this shouldn't be a thing you know people shouldn't be able to take advantage of this um and you know it took a lot we were still able to ask my mom you know who do you want to be your power attorney and of course she said me and I said well hold on I want to share it (laughs) um and you know, it, it worked in that sense, but my sister and I have talked about starting like an Instagram, um, something about caregiving, like how to prepare, not the everyday struggles because a lot, I mean, yes, there's everyday struggles, but I'm not, I'm not always there. Um, but it's like the paperwork, it's the legal stuff, it's the accounts, it's all that. Um, but we haven't come up with a name and we also, we've been talking about it for a year, hasn't happened. Not sure if it ever will. There's a lot of other stuff going on, and and she's gonna have a baby to to take care of soon. (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. So it may never happen. Um, but our like, we want to share this information. We don't want anyone to, you know, anyone we know will talk about it. And usually, we get calls from various friends of friends, and hey, I'm going through this, or some random people at home at the small island. Um, you know, someone will call and say, hey, can I pick your brain? And I'm always happy to talk to people because um, I I think we had a lot of support, but not necessarily the best advice or support. And I I would um, would love to you know always be able to share that information and suggestions. And you know, it's uh, getting the diagnosis, getting them to stop driving on their own, and get the legal stuff in order, the bank accounts in order, and also figure out how much money you have to work with or don't have to work with. Also, you don't want your parents to run out of money and it makes it more difficult for you. So if you can yep. start managing things sooner. Um, and I think that that goes without saying for parents without Alzheimer's too. So yeah, we did our trust, our living trust last summer. And, you know, people, I, I was surprised because we felt really stupid and guilty because it's like, oh my gosh, we're in our mid fifties and we're just out doing this. And oh, we're terrible people and blah, blah, blah. Kind of beating ourselves up for finally getting it. You know, finally we're doing it. And now we're not these horrible, stupid people anymore. Mm-hmm. And the attorney that we worked with basically said, oh, no, no, no. You guys are kind of like ahead of the curve. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, yeah. I did. I was almost 54. My husband was 55. Wait, six? How old is he? He's two years older than I am. So whatever. You know, it was like right before our <laughs> birthdays. So, you know, yeah. it was also last year. So who knows? I don't know how old I was last year. And what was interesting is it was really simple. You know, he asked questions, you know, he knew that because he's in our Rotary Club. So he knew that my mom had passed away from Alzheimer's. So we did talk about, you know, that, you know, the challenges that that can present in later life if one of us ends up with Alzheimer's. The only time that it was slightly difficult is we said, well, you know, everything will go to our daughter. And he goes, "Okay, that's fine. What happens if she dies first? And I'm like, so we had that, too, where (laughs) 
the lawyer said, what happens if all three of you go at the same time? And I was, I don't know. That's not going to happen. We just won't fly together. Yeah, really. uh, and you're like, you got to have something. And she goes, fine. I wanted to go to my nieces and nephews. She goes, all right, start listing them all. Who do you want to go to? And she goes, I don't know, just all of them. <laughs> and it's like, there's three of us. Um, but yeah, that's, I don't, I don't remember what she did. I think it goes to all my cousins, but um, because it, my parents are divorced. So, you know, it's not like it's just going to go to my dad or you know, something like that. So. Well, it's interesting you guys got that question, too, because, like, I mean, you would almost have to be in, like, some sort of tragic accident for all three of you all guys three. to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when he asked me that, I was like, excuse me? That's I'm like, that's an ugly question, but it's a good one. And we thought about it. And, you know, she and her, I call him the almost son-in-law, almost said stepson, whatever. Yeah. Almost son-in-law. They want to get married. It does. There's some like financial hiccups that actually making it legal would cause them. So it's like a whole thing, you know, it's like, can never be simple. And so it was like, I think after thinking about it for about six months, we're like, oh, he's been in our life for like eight years now. So like something happens to her, we'll just give it to him, you know, like whatever. Yeah. You know, my sister got an inheritance, you know, she got what I got from our parents' estate. You know, my, we split. She and I split the third of my grandmother's estate that my dad would have gotten. So it's like, you know, my sister don't need it. So, that's fine. You know, like, well, that's how it is. My mom's like, well, I don't, my siblings don't, her, you know, she's one of six. So like her siblings don't need, they're fine. They get what she gets. But I don't know. I think the easy thing our family has always taken is like, oh, I don't know. It just goes down to all of like our, everything in the family. It's, you know, it just goes down to the next generation. So she's like, okay, I'll just put it off on them. Um jokes on all of them if they've got to deal with it all but whatever um but also all my aunts and uncles are like oh annie you're so organized here you're now my power of attorney in charge of my estate and i was like well, wait a second and they're like you don't have to sign anything i darn <laughs> really <laughs> shucks um you know my aunts and uncles who don't have kids and whatnot but um but yeah i mean there's just a lot to learn about, you know, like even my boyfriend's parents, they're signing up for social security soon. And I was like, Oh, I can help you with that. You know, Medicare <laughs> got that down. Um, so it's, yeah, unfortunately it was just like that age. where also like, you know, my mom, a lot of things changed and fortunately, uh, you know, she ended up with a pension and, uh, and healthcare supplemental, but you like, you know, you learn about all that stuff and it's like, who wants to learn about signing up for social security and Medicare at age 27? Um, this is awful. <laughs> and it's probably going to change or run out by the time it's time for me to do it. Yeah. I've um, been saying that my whole adult life too. And it, they did change it. Let's see, not social security, Medicare. I do not qualify for Medicare until I'm 67 and a half. So I've, I've got like really. more than a decade. I don't even know what it is for you guys. It's, it's like, if you get it, you get it is probably the whole, yeah. I don't know. And it's, just oh that's it is frustrating and yeah dealing with medicare was my least favorite thing and thankfully you know surprisingly being in real estate my husband ends up dealing with a lot of people that are in our situation or yours mine Mm -hmm. my past situation and social medicare would not deal with me unless i was it social security now i can't remember which one it was i had to have a representative payee and i'm like no i don't my sister and i are in charge that's you're like that's what we had to do that and they so it's like we put it down but we made my mom's bank account um it's it's part of the trust so it's a revocable trust it's like 
you know, the lowest thing or revocable trust or something. Um, and so we put it down and they're like, okay, well, it's going to be sent to you. And I was like, well, I'm on her bank account. So instead they're like, you know, they're like, you're, you're just in charge of, or maybe that's social security. They're like, you're in charge of just the expenses. And I was like, okay, but I don't want it to come to my bank account. Let's keep things separate. Let's keep things clean. Um, and I just tricked them and still put it in her bank account. <laughs> but yeah. Cause I was told we had to open a separate bank account. We had the same thing. We had a revocable trust. You know, we had to go through like all these hoops to do the revocable trust for the bank account. And it was like, that was awful. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I don't do banking stuff. It was Christmas Eve, and it was the only time when we were all together, and we all had to be there. And my aunt had actually been on my mom's old account, and she couldn't end up coming. She was only an hour away, but she couldn't come that day for some reason, even though she was doing Christmas Eve dinner with us. And so we spent, I mean, an entire Christmas Eve in a Bank of America in Florida, um, and we opened a new account, and then I got the other ones closed. But it was a whole whole something. Um, Yeah. It's it's a lot. So definitely, you know, a lot of people avoid planning for our, you know, end end of life type stuff, our, you know, living uh, wills and trust mm-hmm. and all that stuff because we just don't like to think about it. But you know what? Once you do it, it's like, well, that I did, you know. Well, that was done. Yeah. And it's easier once it's done. And that's where I have to say I'm so fortunate that I had that really great supervisor at work when I was getting all this paperwork done and she was great. Um, Cause I don't know if that would be the case now, but I don't know in general, like yeah, all that stuff is difficult. Um, but, and the long-term care policy, you know, again, I'm so happy my mom has it. I am so fortunate that like so much of this stuff we did get done sooner. And that, that wasn't, that wasn't planned. That was kind of like out of luck, you know, that, I don't know. I mean, it's a very unlucky situation to have a parent with Alzheimer's, especially at this age, to be our age. But we're in such a fortunate situation because of various things that were set up um, ahead of time and having the funds to care for her and all that. And we did get to a point where we did say if the care gets, well, I've said it, it is like if the care gets more expensive than what I'm making per year, then I'll, I'll switch you know, and I'll maybe go do something else. But um, fortunately, with the new job, I just bought myself a few years <laughs> um, with the new pay. But but it's expensive. And it's just I don't think anyone prepares for it like they're supposed to. And it sucks. But but I'm, you know, we're definitely fortunate and, you know, finding the right support of people and all that. So this is a big challenge. Um, so I have one last question for you. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, and I, what I know about long-term care insurance products, are you going to buy yourself a long-term care policy soon? I don't know how you decide when you buy it or anything like that. You know, I think my mom was probably in her 40s when she, well, she was, no, she had me when she was 38. So she was not in her 40s. Maybe she was in her 50s. Um, I think I probably would just because both my grandmothers had Alzheimer's. My mom had Alzheimer's. I don't know. There's probably a pretty good chance that I'm going to end up with it. Um, my sister likes to say she thinks that they're going to find a cure for Alzheimer's by then. I'm not holding out hope if we haven't had a new drug like approved by the FDA for Alzheimer's since like what was it like 2003 or 1993? One of them. I'm yeah, not holding. I, I want to be optimistic, but uh, I'm going to try and be the realist here. So I would probably get it. Uh, it's definitely been beneficial for us. Um, from my understanding, but I can understand why not getting it. Like I could totally get not getting it. 
Uh, from my understanding, there are policies that you can get. Now, I did talk to this guy three years ago, but I would assume that they've gotten better, not worse. But who God only knows, right? Who knows? Yeah, um, <laughs> they're like, and I believe the term is an annuity. So you pay into it for a certain amount of time. And mm -hmm. then, then you're like fully vested. Again, this is not my strong suit. I like to do podcasting. annuity. I have not been able to fully figure out what it was. My mom yes. had one with her retirement and I just ended up calling someone that was doing her investing. And I said, I don't really know what this is. Tell me if I should get rid of it or not. And they're like, let's, we're going to transfer some stuff and all that. And every time I hear about an annuity, I still don't get how it works. Which is just funny that that's what you brought up. <laughs> well, it's for, and I, I may be using the wrong term. And I will link the the the, the episode is called Long Term Care Insurance Explained, which I thought people would like totally hate, and it was like really popular. So popular, oh, for sure. <laughs> I probably need to update it, and so maybe I should call that guy again. But there was basically policies that you could get like at your stage of life, and then you'd be fully vested in whatever by forty or fifty, and then the amount of money didn't change, but you didn't have to keep paying. So it's like, okay, well, I'm going to watch, listen to that. Episode. Yeah. 99% <laughs> certain was 2019. So two years okay, ago, back to you. So yeah, I started yeah. it. I started in 2018. So like I said, I'm like, I have to look stuff yeah. up nowadays, but yeah, it was really interesting to learn about. And my husband and I are at the age where it's like, do we do it? Do we, you know, we, we actually probably mm -hmm. should sit down with a diff, um, our personal insurance person doesn't do long-term care. We should probably find somebody that does and find out, like, should we be socking away even more money in our in our retirement investments? Or should we, like, take some of it and buy these policies, you know? And if we buy them and we don't use them, what happens? It's like, that's like the last little bit of adulting we have to do. <laughs> like yeah, well, because that was for us. It was, do we start using it? And then it's like, well, then what if she just, like, dies tomorrow? Like, what happens to it? And so we're like, okay, we should, there's no reason to just not start using it as soon as we could because you know maybe it runs out but then she'll have more money in her checking account i don't know you know but it's making those decisions it kind of stinks my sister thankfully is pretty good at um she's not in finance but her husband is and I, thankfully she's got those that knowledge of, you know my brother's got that artistic mind uh, and he's really great with feelings and art and photography and all that and uh i'm I don't know. I don't know if I'm good at managing things, but I've become better at it. I'm very organized. And then my sister is just good at it. I'm like, I don't know. Do I send money to like the investment or do I put it in savings? And do I just pay off the last year? Do I pay off the house? And she was like, well, market's up. Let's do it. Um, but if I didn't have her doing that, I probably wouldn't take any of the bigger risks or things that I have done with my mom's money because I'm so scared of it running out because then she's moving in with me. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so. that's scary. At least with the long-term care policy that she's got, if it only lasts for 10 years and she lives for 15 or like my mom was 20, it, it's allowing you guys to get further along in your adult exactly. life and your careers. So maybe you will be at a point where you can be like in charge. I can pay for this. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Or just you can change the culture and make it more of a workplace that finds ways of allowing you to do your full-time job and take care of your parents. All the stuff that needs sure. to be done. Absolutely. And that's one of the greatest things about also, I mean, going to work for the federal government. Also, I haven't started the job. It might not be all it's cracked up to be, but because they've done so much more with, you know, family leave and they just have really great benefits in that sense. So I see a lot of that 
hopefully working out to my benefit. Um, well, I think it's you know, it's, it's a lot different than my old job. So yeah, I, I think a lot of it's going to change because I think after what happened last year, and you know, I know a lot of people living with the disease. You know, all the shutdowns caused their progression to happen faster. You know, there's just like there's some like little positive things that happen with this insane pandemic. And that's I think one of them is like employers realize, hey, you know, we can we can get full productivity out of somebody that's working at home in their jammies and Mm -hmm. doing God knows what else, you know, the dog across their lap. And I mean, I've worked from home for 16 years and it's like I never understood why they thought people wouldn't be productive because it's just like. I definitely was not productive in when we lived in Michigan. Uh, I had to learn to be, you have to, you have to adjust. You can't work on, well, maybe some people can. I personally cannot work on the couch with a TV on and think I'm going to be productive. Um, So it's like learning to have that separate space and all that. You know, when I moved to Detroit, we had a lot of, that was like year of the Arctic blast or whatever. I don't know, negative degrees for weeks on end and all the snow in the world. Um, And so I just didn't go into the office a lot because of weather. And so I had to learn to work from home. And so it made the pandemic thing a little easier because I had already figured out how to work from home, whereas a lot of my coworkers were struggling. And I'm sure they all have figured it out by now. We're, you know, over a year in. So um, now I think the adjustment is going back to the office. (laughs) Well, and, you know, it's like there's obviously people that want to because they're like, get me the hell out of this house. And then there's Mm -hmm. people that are like, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing a hybrid thing, but how do we make that work? And then there's some people who are like, uh, you're going to have to drag me kicking and screaming back into that office. Yeah, no. Yeah. Which, and I personally think two things. I think they're going to f- find out that a lot of what causes Alzheimer's is that our modern life is really crappy for us. You know, mm-hmm. uh, processed foods and commuting and the stress and the all the distractions and noises. And, blah, 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 and it's just like, sure. I just I just think that it's not great for us. And so I'm hoping that last year kind of taught people that, you know, slowing down and tuning out the world or the world being tuned out temporarily was a good thing. But that I also think it's better for our environment, which is obviously better for us. If you're not commuting, you know, you're Mm -hmm. you're not polluting the air, you're under less stress, you get more time with your kids or your parents or your dog and, you know, more time to like spend in your community. And I think when we spend more time in our community, like you said, your mom lives on Nantucket Island. And because it's a small community, you guys have kind of had options where people like me out here in the suburbs, about 50 miles northeast of San Francisco, like, well, I don't know, because we moved and then the pandemic happened. And I only know some of my neighbors. Yeah, and that point. people, yeah. Um, yeah. The one one of the guys next door, these great, he and my husband have like garbage can races, like which one of them could get the garbage cans out to the street first? Yeah. Like, we've been here over a year and I'm like, uh, I don't even know what day garbage is because those two are always battling over the trash can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, but they've got special needs, family members in their own home, you know, and it's like if we'd known each other better before the pandemic, it's like I probably could help if they needed help. But it's like because we don't really know everybody, it's I, like mm-hmm. yeah, they have no clue. And, you know, I just I just think we need to, like, pull in as a community better. And we need to take care, better care of ourselves and those people around us. So, well, that was, little- that was a big thing with the pandemic. Was also, do we keep my mom cooped up and not let her do anything? Thankfully, Florida was fairly open, so that kind of made things easy. But it was, do we say no? You can't see any of your friends or whatever for fear of the pandemic. But we kind of got to a point where a 
we were probably more lenient than most, uh, simply in the sense of if this is going to be mom's last year of life, do we want her to have spent it with her friends and happiest she could ever be? And I think the honestly last year has been phenomenal for her. She's had such, she's such wonderful days. Um, and it could have been completely the opposite. It could have been um, like so many people where they declined so much. And we were so terrified that this year was going to be essentially what killed her from from the, the isolation that we just chose to take that risk. And we were fortunate she didn't get COVID. I mean, we, we were still safe for sure, but um, we still made sure she had a lot of interactions and all that because we weren't really willing to take that. And we were looking at memory care and we're like, we're not we're not putting her in memory care until this pandemic's over and everyone's vaccinated and all that, which of course now is coming up and we're trying to decide what we're going to do. But it was that that's going to be so much more detrimental than, you know, she is extremely healthy except for the Alzheimer's, which is unfortunate in lots of ways, but also means that like, I'm not a doctor, but I think she could have potentially survived COVID if she got a mild, you know, whatever. Um, but the isolation would have been so much worse for her or, this could be our last year of life and everything could go downhill. And we just weren't really willing for it to be a, that's kind of what kills her. Um, she's got enough other things going on, you know? <laughs> so, um, but fortunately, you know, she kind of came out unscathed and, um, you know, vaccinated now. So that's great. You know, we can be a little less worried and all that, but, but it's terrifying to think of all the people who didn't have that opportunity to, be in Florida, be outside all the time. And, you know, if she'd been up in Massachusetts, it probably would have been different in the cold weather and, um, or the friends who were also willing to kind of take their a risk on their own. You know, she had a group of probably like four or five people. Um, but you know, they hadn't been willing to take that risk. It would have even more tough for her. Um, yeah, so. no, I, I have told people cause there's just some people like I promised myself and kind of in my, in, and promising myself, it was kind of making a promise to my mom who had like no clue what I would be talking about if I had said it to her. I was not going to do anything to prolong dying from Alzheimer's because she was the same way. She talked in full sentences at the last, you know, the last year of her life. They didn't make any sense, but it was actual words and it formed a sentence. There was just no like context. You had no idea what she was talking about. It was like somebody comes up and just starts in the middle of a sentence at you. You're like, who are you? What are you talking about? And she yeah. walked. You know, so, I mean, she tried to help the other residents where she lived, which is why I figured she'd live longer. And I am so thankful that if she had to, like, die a little suddenly, that it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. Because we always went to the park to watch kids. And there was no kids in the yeah. parks because the parks were closed, which I never really understood. But I know people well, that are they just told you you couldn't go visit her or something. I mean, we, that was our thought of, well, if we can't go visit her, then we're going to take her out. And she's going to live with one of us. And then we're going to have to figure out care. So we might as well just plan ahead, find care and not have her live with one of us. <laughs> um, yeah, they were. I didn't see her the last two weeks of her life. I did see her the day before she passed away. Um, but had it been further into the shutdowns, because this was literally, well, OK, so she broke her leg March 8th. She went back to the care home March 12th. I saw her every other day until the 16th. 16th is when our governor shut down the seven counties in San Francisco area, the Bay Area. And so then they were like, nobody's coming in. And then I saw her on the 30th. So it was, you know, like whatever that is, 14. That was two weeks exactly. And then she passed away the next day. And they did let us in the next day. And there was literally 10 of us. It was, you know, 
my husband yeah. and I, the daughter, the almost step, no, I said it again, the almost son-in-law, my sister <laughs> and her family, which is four, so that's eight, and my my mom's younger brother and sister, who are somewhat local. So there was 10 of us, and the poor executive director was about to have a stroke. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and he didn't basically say, get the hell out. I mean, at that point, it was a little bit late, but, you know, he was he was trying to encourage us to continue our conversation in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yep. But, you know, further along in, they probably would have not let us in, and that would have been just mm-hmm. horrible. And she yeah. was such a such a challenge. She couldn't have come live with me because I have a two story house, so that wouldn't have worked. And it's just like, you know, it was just. It, I'm so glad I didn't have to navigate the pandemic and her at the same time. But it's mm-hmm. like, I would have taken her any place that was open. You know, we would have gone to the park. We would have gone. She walked really slow, so that was never fun. But you know, I just, I kind of felt like, you know, you guys are so paranoid of COVID of them dying from COVID that you're killing them from isolation. Could you just take a mm-hmm. breath and a step back and think, you know, like, yeah. what are you afraid of? Uh, they're going to die. We're all going to die. Okay. So let's just get that out there. Yeah. Don't know anybody that's still living from a hundred years ago or maybe a little more than a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so like, think about it. Like we need to help them live well with Alzheimer's. We need to give them the best quality of life as possible and don't drag it out. I mean, like my mom lived for yeah. 20 years with Alzheimer's. That was enough. And your mom yeah, could easily sure. as well because she's young like my mom was. And, uh, you know, hopefully, well, you know, supposedly it was once in a generator, once in a lifetime pandemic. So I should not yeah, have to deal we with don't it get again. again. <laughs> hopefully you won't either. Yeah, but this agreed. has been really great. A little longer than normal, but this has been yeah. really fun and fascinating. I just love hearing other people's stories. You have like last bit of advice before we run off into the night, your night, my afternoon. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely just get things organized when earlier rather than later, because then you can go on to spending time with your loved one if you're not just trying to figure out how to change the address on their bills and how to pay them and what accounts they have. So um, I feel like I've finally gotten that stuff down. And I think that's allowed me to enjoy my time with my mom and also my siblings. Um, a lot of this is taking a lot of toll on us, but, um, and definitely I, I really liked your idea of writing down what you do every week and how you can get people to help because everyone always asks how to help. And, um, oftentimes you just get frustrated because it's, you know, lots of people's grandparents have Alzheimer's. Um, and I'm like, no, mine had those too. It's different when it's your parent and you don't have another parent at home to spend time with them. Um, but yeah, it's figuring out how to ask for help um, and how to still remotely have a life because I know my mom wants to spend time with us, but she also wants us to have our own lives. So just getting organized um, as early as possible. Um, and that goes for, again, anyone with or without Alzheimer's. Because um, takes, you're going to have to take over at some point life. in time. Yeah. So um, we're still learning as we go, but um, someday we'll get that Instagram up with all our <laughs> tips about legal and banking and all that, but definitely not there yet. <laughs> well, if you want to just send me like the posts, I'll post them on mine. And then you, so you guys can yeah. have like a hybrid Instagram account. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I like your yeah, ideas perfect. and I'm like, I could probably do that, but I have like 500 other things to do. Yeah, no, I like that idea. Let's do that. Well, when your sister is up in the middle of the night with the newborn, you know, she gets an idea, you know, you you can even send the ideas or the tip to me and I'll make the post because I, you know. Perfect. I was, I'm assuming your brother is a portrait and wedding photographer. 
Uh, yeah, but also uh, fashion. He started with like portraits and landscape and uh, weddings. Um, so he does those still, but he's now is the um, chief photographer for N Magazine at Nantucket um, back home. So he does like the fashion shoots and all that stuff, which has been fun. So. Nice. I guess that because I was a photographer until last year. And the moving was basically downsizing, which meant I would have had to do everything on location. And then the pandemic hit and I thought, you know what? We downsized to like live within our least amount of income. So the hell with it. <laughs> so I retired. Yeah. I quote unquote <laughs> retired. And yep. podcast doesn't make me any money, but it keeps me from going nuts. So because I have these wonderful That's conversations. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have really appreciated it. I mean, when you had told me you had another, you know, millennial caregiver on and I was like, She's in the same, similar, not the same position, but similar enough that I was like, oh, you know, I'm connected with her. And um, there's a lot of really great information. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, I know my siblings listen and my sister-in-law listens and whatnot. So a lot of great information and there's always information to share for everyone to learn from each other. So definitely, That's true. You might definitely hear enjoy some... listening. Oh, thank you. Well, you might hear something today that clicks that I've said five other times and it wasn't the right time to hear it. So I just, I keep, I don't know. We'll just keep doing this until we run out of things to talk about, which apparently with me is yeah. never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> if you've gotten this far, I appreciate you guys so much. I know this was a long one. And so I'm going to keep the end of this very short. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, please go over and do that. I am working on some YouTube specific content although my life is getting a little bit crazier, but still going to work on it for you. And next week, you guys are going to be very happy to hear how to get Medicaid to pay without going broke first. And guess what? It's not an hour and a half. So thank you so much for hanging in there with me today, gang. And as always, I'll be in your ears again next Tuesday.